Hello, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Faith in the Real World. I'm Graham Zima. And I'm Pastor Mark. Welcome back to the show. I know we've been off for a couple weeks, but we're glad to be back here. This is episode nine of the podcast. Can you believe that? No, I, I can't. Mean, it's crazy to think. Uh, They're starting to pile up. I know, I know. We're building a real real database here. But thank you so much for everybody that has listened to this show or watched it on YouTube. We really appreciate all the kind words that you've been saying to us in person and the comments you've been leaving on our YouTube channel. Really, really appreciate it. And if you haven't already, be sure to subscribe to our YouTube channel where you can get all these different types of content, including the worship vlogs. We also have uh, Cloud of Witnesses where you get to know us at St. John's, the staff, as well as other congregation members whole bunch of other things. We can't leave out the worship services uh, every Sunday morning at 10 a.m. on that same YouTube channel. So before you click off on this video today or you know, right now, be sure to subscribe to that YouTube channel and that way you can get notif- notifications every single time we put up something new. We're also going to be trying out, I think on this episode, uh, Spotify is now allowing us to post videos apparently, which is a really cool new feature. So we're going to be taking advantage of that in any way that we possibly can. So if you also want to watch on Spotify or just listen, we'll leave that up to you. But once again, thank you so much. However you're listening or watching, we really appreciate it. Today's question, Pastor Mark, is, we've had some off-air conversations about this a little bit. Yeah. How can the church not just this church, but churches abroad, reconnect or build a connection, a new connection with the younger generation? Yeah, you told me this is going to be a good one. Uh, this is a good one. I, I think first, right out, the, right out the gate, I think the church needs to say its honest truth, which is we have no idea. The world has changed so dramatically that we don't know really how to engage with the world in general, let alone a specific generation. I think that that's a truth. I think we, the church, and especially its pastors and rostered leaders, deacons, etc., we need to sort of shut up for a while and listen to all people of all generations, of all subsets of our society, because we, as church leaders, we don't have a monopoly on or any control on what God is doing in the world. Our job as a professional pastor is to, in fact, preach and proclaim the good news of God in Christ Jesus. But it doesn't mean that God's in this room or confined to this room. God's in the world out there. And all I'm supposed to do is highlight where I can hopefully correctly see where the footsteps of God are in the world. And so one of the ways I think um, we, the, the church needs to re-engage with society now, right, as we start to emerge from this pandemic is r- realize that 1959 is over. We cannot continue to be the church that we were previously. I mean, we really were holding on to traditions and language and um, even ceremony that doesn't fit anymore. It doesn't, it doesn't speak to people the way that it used to do. Um, and maybe that's the contemporary worship services. Maybe they just need to go away and go back to a traditional worship service. Maybe the traditional worship services, maybe they need to go away and become more contemporary. But I think the word contemporary needs to be reaffirmed or redefined because we don't know. I mean, we really don't know what the world's going to look like in the days and years that are to come. 
Um, we have no idea if this pandemic is going to linger. How much longer is it going to linger? Um, Minnesota Department of Health for today, May 10, reported over the weekend of uh, Saturday, Sunday, and Monday, it reported you know 5,100 new cases of COVID again. Hospitalizations are down, deaths are down, all that's great, but it's still out there. And it's the Omicron variant, and it, but it's also all the new variants that are coming, and Delta is still out there, and you know, so we've got to figure out. So I think that's the first thing. I honestly think that the first thing in, to, to re-engage the world is to go out, let the world know we are listening, and we are listening authentically. We want to know where do you see God in the world, or where do you see the absence of God in the world? That is to say, where, where is it that you see injustice being done? Where is it that you see um, that, that the, a message of hope is being craved. That's where the church needs to be. And the church needs to recognize, I think, and I might be alone on this. Well, I'm not alone on this. I, I'm not sure amongst all Christian churches this would be shared, what I'm about to say. But the church cannot be the center of the societal norms. The church is called to the fringes. If you look at where, where Jesus did his ministry and with whom Jesus did his ministry when he was doing his ministry, he was with the marginalized, he was with the outcasts, the untouchables, people that the world saw as absolutely worthless, throwaway people, and he went specifically to them and touched their hands, touched their heads, blessed them, we imagine that he, he, he kissed cheeks. He, you know, it's a remarkable thing that Jesus goes and he is with those who the world says, eh, they don't matter. And the, the intentional people that our society rules out, those are the ones that Jesus values the most. And that's where the church needs to be. And so I think we got to be quiet. We need to listen. And then we need to be bold and go into those places in the nooks and crannies of the world that are covered in um, shame, filth. And we got to be there and shine light there. And I think if we do that authentically, and if the world sees us as people of God in the world with those who uh, the world has cast off, and that we're doing this not for some... I don't know, church growth movement. But in fact, because we believe that's what God is calling us to do. And if we do that with that authenticity and some humility, I think no matter what the age is, from the, the, the builder generation all the way down to Gen Z, I think that the, that's how we can re-engage with the world, honestly. Sure. And, you know, you brought up a lot of different points there, and, and I... There's a multiple different, you know, avenues we could go with this conversation. But the first thing I want to do is actually back up, and I should have asked this at the beginning. But how did that fracture begin between younger generations and the church? Like, wh what was that time period, and what were the decisions that were made, or or instances that led to this divide that we're now seeing between, um, you know, organized religion in general, and you know, the Generation Z and and, and Millennials. Yeah. I, well, first of all, so I think right around sec, right after the Second World War, you've got this big 
spike in people coming and belonging to a congregation, and the society as a norm, as a whole, saw loyalty to institutions as a strong communal value. And so you had people, um, and I think that comes out of, um, you know, just the, the horrors of that Second World War um, and what coming together as a nation felt like was a good thing. And then we built these beautiful institutions that, would, that did great things. But over time, the institution of the church got fat and happy, lazy, arrogant, and really judgy. Right, and so there's these sins of the church that just sort of. Hmm. So then, in the 1950s, 60s, things start to erode. There's the what they call that um, the sexual revolution of the 1960s and 70s, right? And then you get a whole bunch of anti-institutional movement stuff. In 1970s, you saw a whole bunch of movement because of the Vietnam War. A whole bunch of movement against government, against. Um, Authority at period right, uh, police, military, whatever. It just really starts to root in there, and then the church's response to those moments of injustice. We were you, you didn't hear a lot of what what did what what was the church saying here? Um, and and what when I mean, when I say that, what I mean is the church has the responsibility of humbly trying to discern what is God saying here. Right, and that's a big task. It's a big task, and there have been so many times when the church really got that wrong, right? And so, 60s, 70s, 80s was a really time of crazy town, right? Economic boom, you've got all kinds of things happening, and people, and um, church lost its hold, on certain things. Schools had release time, right? When I was in uh, middle school and high school, school and when I was in middle school or junior high, we called it, we were let out of elementary and junior high. We were let out um, on Wednesdays at like two o'clock because we all went to church for release time. The public schools dropped it and then we all went. In high school, on Tuesday mornings, School started late because we all had high school youth group Tuesday morning. All of that disappears. Then you've got sports and other things where they not impede or encroach on church time, though that's true. But they start, those teams, whatever, become such a demand on people's time, they start forming communities. Soccer moms becomes a thing, right? Hockey dads becomes a thing. And those dads and moms are sitting in bleachers and they start to form whole communities there. And so the necessity of church becoming a secondary family is gone. And so it was, it's been a long eroding. But there are some people now saying, well, maybe that's not so bad. Because maybe the church can finally speak with some humility and with authenticity about major issues, the, the question is, is anybody willing to hear it from the church? So you're of that generation now, the Gen Zers, right? Or uh, young millennial. And what do you think of where should the church be speaking with some sense of prophetic voice? Where and how should the church function in society? It's a huge question. So, and you could look at it from a lot of different perspectives. I think 
you've kind of alluded to it already where it's you have to I mean for example take you know going back to 2020 with the George Floyd protesting like getting active in those types of situations you know getting more involved in pretty much all kind of social justice situations I think would be a, a very good first step because that way you're sort of breaking down this narrative that's been built up where you know churches and, and religion in general they do all this talk on Sundays about this is how we're going to make the world a better place, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And then when situations actually arise, they're nowhere to be found. I mean, think about, you know, I don't want to call anybody out here, but I guess we can. You know, the, the, the instance when the hurricanes happened, I believe it was in Texas or whatever, and Joel Osteen got a lot of, you know, criticism for basically closing off his churches that could have been a, a sanctuary for a lot of people during that time. That's one instance, but we've seen it in many other situations where, once again, when push comes to shove, religion, pe people of faith seem to be nowhere. And so I think that's an important first step. I, I think, you know, it, it goes back to, again, the, the need to recognize that change needs to be had in general. Because like you kind of said, you know, our church is trying to move into, I, I think I can confidently say we're trying to move into the next, the new era, yes. you know, and trying to get with the times. Yeah. But there are countless other churches, even probably within our area and beyond, that there's pushback on that. They want to keep things the way that they are because it's familiar. Right. And it's because it's the way it's always been in tradition. But as we've seen in other industries and other, you know, you know other aspects of life, things are always changing. Things are always evolving. And you have to kind of be either ahead of the curve or, you know, get with it, um, or you can, unfortunately, get lost. So, I don't know, it's, I, I think, like I said, the, the, the first step is the social justice aspect, um, and that's, that's born from the desire to, to make a difference and, and really put, you know, your money, I guess, where your mouth is, yeah, <laughs> if, that, if that's one way to put it. So, um, and I'm sure as time goes on, I'll probably have a more, I don't know, more in-depth answer, but I think that's a good starting point. Yeah, I think so too. And one of the wrinkles in all of this is that like, we are a part of the Evangelical Lutheran Church in America, the ELCA. Right. And there's there are officially in the book something like 62 different varieties of Lutherans just in North America. I mean, it's crazy, right? It's, it's Fractureville. Um, that's another topic for another day. But... As the ELCA, one of the things that we can be very proud of, for example, is that we've got these organizations. Um, LIRS is Lutheran Immigration Refugee Services, and that's an international pan-Lutheran deal that helps anyone of any faith background or non-believers whatsoever whenever they are immigrants or refugees. And so that organization has been in the Ukraine since the in the very first shot was fired. They were there. Lutheran disaster, Lutheran disaster response was all over Houston, Texas, and they were on the ground there while the storm was blowing. Um, and so there's these things, and the, the church does. They're absolutely fantastic. My lament is that because the church has had such a history of not responding well or not telling the story well, now we don't have anybody to hear it. Exactly, and that's right. I was actually just about to say that. I think sometimes it's not a, uh, a question of whether or not the church is doing something. It's there's, A, nobody there to tell that story. Right. I mean, obviously I've come into this position here for that exact reason because this church is doing 
a lot of work around the community and beyond. Right, exactly. But then B, like you said, maybe there's nobody to listen as well. So it, it's, yeah, like. And then how do you fix that? How right? do you fix, yeah. Because I'm preaching literally to the choir here. Yeah. And w we've got this really plucky, progressive congregation here in South Minneapolis that they really want to get out in the world because that they know and are convinced that God in Christ Jesus is out in the world, out there. And they want to shine light on where they think God is working. And they want to be at the fringes. Great. But it's you folks that we want to share that story with. And we, would, we, we want very much for more people to be a part of that. Not just to become a member of this congregation, though that would be great. But that's not what we do in this for. We are doing this because God is in the world and we're, we're, we're chasing where God is going. And it's amazing work. And we're only maybe 60-some people on a given Sunday. On the other hand, we've got a long reach because... We believe God has given us resources to be used in the world to affect people's lives for the better, whether they're Christians or not. And so we just need a bigger audience. If, if we do, if the church does grow, that'd be great. But if we grow, it's only because God is sending people here so that we can have still a longer reach. Right. Right. And that's, I'm not interested in growing numbers just to be, so I can brag to my colleagues. Yeah. Oh, we've got 12 new members. Or what, you, you see know. that a lot, though. It's, oh, yeah. It's, it's a numbers the, game. It's, it's an old game. way of churches thinking of the metrics, yep. right? And it becomes and not and interested. And you start to fall in. I mean, obviously, a church is a business, but you never want to go around treating it like that or it, 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 proclaiming that to everybody else. Right. You know, you, you handle your business. But you don't have to go around, like you said, bragging about the numbers or all that stuff. I mean, that's just, what good does that do? At the, like I said, it just it, it fuels a person's ego, and that's really about it, you yep. know? Well, uh, uh, yes. There are, though, there are certain metrics that I, as a pastor, on the business side of this, I've got to watch, right? I've got to make sure that I can pay the staff. We've got to sure, make sure, sure that we're not running in debt. And we're, we've got to do all those things. But the only real, like, there are churches that count how many active confirmed members that you have, right? That's a 1950s model of judging that because, you know, you're only an active member when you've communed and contributed of time or financially once in a given year. Well, that doesn't tell you anything. They show up at Christmas, they put an offering plate, something in the offering plate that makes them an active member. That's not an active member. No, yeah. So the only metric that I really use is, how big are we or how small are we? What's an appropriate reach for our ministry is how many butts are in the pew on a Sunday morning. And then kind of trying to gauge the age of that congregation so that we're not um, overburdening people's time, right? Because sure. the most important thing a person can give is time, which is really a gift of self. And when our congregation starts to get tired, we've got to back off. And not push. Um, and if, for example, we used to do this ministry here called um, Community Meal, where we would put on an open meal to anybody in the community that could come in on a Saturday, and the number of volunteers just was getting smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller. So we were getting fewer and fewer people while we were still feeding the same number, 30 to 40 people that would come through the door. And I started to ask the questions, is this something that you enjoy doing? And to a person, they all said no. Well, you can't, you know, if, if you don't have vision, the, uh, vision without, um, how does that go? Vision without 
something becomes task. I don't remember. But there's an old axiom that, that I used to use a lot, and I haven't talked about it for a number of years. If, if you don't have the inner pulse to do it, if you do not value that, it's absolute drudgery. And we just have to stop that. And when we stopped it, people were really lamenting because, well, how are these people going to be fed? And da 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 da. But that, I said, well, we're going to stop this, but what else should we be doing? What, how, what, we've got to serve. Well, that becomes the backpack program. So now we're feeding 20 families every, every, every two, three weeks from the Justice Page Middle School. Backpacks set up, filled with food, including fresh fruit, that are dietary specific. And those families over there have no idea that we, as a church, gave it to them. We, there's a need to be met, and we met it. That's it. We do not need to put little tracts in there or little Bible verses or say, hey, this yeah. is from St. John's. Hope you show up on a Sunday. Nope. We do it simply because they had need. We had will. We met it. Done. And that, I think, is beautiful. That's one of those instances where you kind of have to let go because you could easily find yourself in a marketing situation where you're trying to you're using it as just an opportunity to gain more people but you have to sometimes you have to kind of cut that thread and be like you know what absolutely we're just doing this for the betterment of people's lives and this is because of what god calls us to do and nothing more than that right there's a i think there it boils down to there's a time and a place for the for business and business is important and you know, like you said, making sure the staff is all paid, et cetera, et cetera, maintenance and whatnot. But then there, there is another time where you have to let that all go, and you have to look at just how does what we're doing benefit the community around us, yep. and nothing more than that. So, it, it's 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 a tough thing to do to balance those things, but I think I think we do a pretty good job of it, at least from my perspective. I think so too, and you know. It's, it's actually a, an amazing moment when you are doing something and it, 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 you know that this is actually impacting someone else's life. You feel really, really good, but you don't even do it because you're going to feel good. You're doing it because they have a need. And my positive vibes of that, well, that's, that's nice. I mean, it, it is. But that's just the fuel that keeps me wanting to do it again all for the benefit of that other person, right? And so for me, that's really important that anything we do, we don't do it because I feel good. Mm -hmm. That's disgusting, right? We do it because there's need. Now, that, there are certain needs that need to be met in the world that I can't do. I, I know I'll do it once and never do it again because I'm not wired to do that specific moment of ministry. But the things that I am wired for, I must do. That is being obedient to the calling of God in the world. And when we do those things, it's not work. It just isn't. It really flows, and it isn't, it's not drudgery. It's, it's a joy. Yeah, not to get too off topic, but you, you reminded me of, I don't know if this even goes on anymore. Hopefully it doesn't. But there was a port, uh, uh, point in time where you saw a lot on YouTube and various social media sites, people posting videos of themselves giving such and such to, you know, like a homeless person on the street and then having them take a picture with them. And it was almost like a, like you were talking about more of an ego thing. And I'm glad that we have started to move away from that a bit. And people like that were being called out for that reason of, it's not about making you feel good no. in that moment. It's about that need. And, and that person, you know, 
not having you know in a lot of cases uh essential things to live and survive right, exactly. and so um you know i've i've had moments where i've given you know small amounts of money to to someone on the street or whatever and i never made a post about it because that was never the point right. and it was just it felt like the right thing to do in that moment and nothing more nothing less and it was nice i mean yes i guess it was it, it was nice to see the smile they put on i put on that person's face but that wasn't the intent right. of it and um I'm, I'm glad that we touched on that and i think it kind of ties back into what we were initially talking absolutely. about absolutely i was just gonna uh, i was like I, I, yep. I, I was like are we going to be able to wrap this around again but well, i think but we can the, you know? the common the thread between your initial question that you popped on me uh, and and where we're at now is it all of it has to do with meeting the needs of the other mm-hmm. right in an authentic honest humble way um, where it is all about what what's the need of the other person do they need do, in that moment does that person need five bucks to buy a sandwich or does that person need the love of God in Christ Jesus 90% of the time both but you got to do the second one at a time when they're ready to hear it. Sure. Right? You've got to have relationship before the gospel, the, the message of God's love in Christ Jesus, will ever be heard. Otherwise, it comes with such garbage. And um, if that person had been wounded by the church, it will drudge up all of their wounds all over again. And that's exactly what you do not want. So the first thing to do is, if you know, they, some people uh, uh, of older generations used to say that the, the, the direct route to a man's heart is through his stomach, right? You feed him. Take that out of context, and, and you say, well, we know, for example, in, in Minneapolis, there's studies being done that if children are hungry, their performance in academics drops dramatically. That's what's driving us for this food backpack program, because we know that those kids don't get food over the weekend, and they're, they're food insecure. So, if we can address that need, we can hopefully close the achievement gap in our education system by just feeding people. And that just helps out the whole society. Our, the other part of that is that our job, by, by commission of God in Christ Jesus, is to go and make sure that the world knows that God loves them. Go ye therefore into all nations, baptizing them, teaching them, and I will be with you to the end of the age. Right? This is a great commission of Jesus Christ. And yeah, we're going to do that but not through backpacks. We're going to do that by getting to know a person and listening to their story. And maybe they know already that God loves them. Maybe they don't. You sort of feel that out as we go. Our job is not to convert people. Our job is to make sure that the needs of the other are met, period. We will will rely on the Holy Spirit to plant seeds of faith in other people. That's it. And if somebody walks through our doors on a Sunday morning and they're checking us out for the very first time, well, great. Hallelujah. Cherry on top. Cherry on top. Great. And we'd love to see you. Open here every Sunday <laughs> at 10 a.m. Um, see, he fell into the business part again. But yeah. I, you know, it, you made sense. It, it made sense. <laughs> but it, it really is. It's, uh, you know, I think the authenticity, the humility, and listening first, that's how we reconnect the church with every generation. That's it. Perfect. That's a fantastic wrap-up there. I think that about does it for this episode. Thank you again, Pastor Mark. For, You're um, thank you, Graham. For everything. And, and once thank again... Thank you for tuning in. Yeah, thank you for tuning in. Be sure to subscribe to the YouTube channel. Um, we got a bunch of cool things on the way. Um, Sunday mornings, 10 a.m., right here at St. John's Lutheran Church in Minneapolis, Minnesota. 
we are doing worship services, and we would love to see you in person if you are able. If you're not, once again, tune in through our YouTube channel, and uh, be sure to use also that, that sidebar chat for, you know, some of the call and response things. We're really trying to encourage people to do that. It's a good way to interact from wherever you are from um, with the rest of us and, and the congregation and whatnot, so be sure to use that uh, sidebar chat. Outside of that, thank you so much. I'm Graham Zima. And I'm Pastor Mark. And this has been Faith in the Real World. And until next time, take care of yourself.